Proudly coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Frontier Podcast. I'm your host, Ledge, and we are powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes and join the conversation at the Frontier Pod on Twitter. Giddy up. Carlson Wagonlet Travel, or CWT, is a global leader in the B2B travel management space. The hotels division within CWT was rebranded as Roomit in the summer of 2017. My guest in this episode, Alex Behrens, was brought in as Director of Engineering to lead that effort. Now, it's no small feat to build an entirely new tech startup inside of a legacy IT organization. And I talk in detail with Alex about introducing Agile, building internal partnerships, and helping teams across the enterprise innovate faster while still honoring the original thinking that served the company well for many years before this effort. Alex, welcome. Why don't you give a little intro of yourself? Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. Um, My name is Alex Behrens. I am currently the Director of Engineering for the Hotels Division within CWT. Uh, It's a division that we uh, remember the brand name of Roomit, uh, which was established about a year ago and um, uh, in charge of just building a uh, in-house engineering team within a whole new division that was established about two years ago. And uh, this is within a very large enterprise. So it's uh, great to be here. I'm really looking forward to speaking with you a bit. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. So off mic, you know, we were talking a little bit about like, just what's it like starting sort of a, a modern software yeah. startup inside of a legacy IT operation, you know, you yep. said it in your LinkedIn, you're sort of like, quote unquote, lots of Oracle, you know, so, yeah, yeah, you know, like, obviously, you're dealing with all kinds of stuff there, you know, human elements, technology elements, you're talking about building the team, maybe tell that story a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, the, um, the, the backstory on the, the company was that uh, the hotels division didn't have a formal structure uh, until about two years ago, when uh, a colleague of mine, um, it was the CTO, uh, a fellow named Matt O'Keefe, um, wanted to uh, bring in a, an engineering team so that they could uh, start to build and own some of the intellectual property behind the uh, work that was needed to be done to you know, increase revenues and margins and uh, extend our, our reach further and further. So uh, this was kind of a huge challenge for us because we were a new office within the company. There wasn't a Chicago office. There was no in-house engineering team, all the, the software and services that were uh, made for this uh, division were off the shelf for third party company uh, produced types of things. So for us, um, there's a, that huge task in front of us. Um, we also had the, the task of helping to uh, inspire and um, innovate within uh, the very large organization and introduce an agile mindset into the way that we produce products. So when I started, uh, it was just me and, and one other developer uh, who is a fellow right out of school. And right now we're at a team of about 14 people which includes people of all stripes, uh, backgrounds, a lot of former colleagues, and uh, all, of, all the way up and down the experience ladder. So we have entry level all the way to people who are senior to me in terms of new years of experience. And um, it, it's, it was no small task to not only build the team, but to also uh, start to innovate and, and um, incentivize other parts of the organization to uh, follow our lead and to um, uh, let us kind of do the things that we wanted to do with some of the, the technologies and the frameworks and things that we wanted to do. So um, it, it was kind of part and parcel of, of my job to um, start to, to create a difference and, and create a, a new model for the company. Um, and that's been no small task. It's an ongoing one that um, is really what my day to day is. Uh, it's a combination of the, the technology plus the people aspect of my job. Um, and this is something that a lot of companies go through. 
especially large ones that have done the same things for so long, they need to start to, to change and, and adjust to the, the new realities of the markets they're operating in um, and, and see their way to a more agile mindset that we're bringing in as well. So yeah, agile mindset. I imagine that you probably have your eyes on like enormous data sets and opportunities that, that can bring, you know, I don't know, machine learning, AI, you know, and it, maybe even you're thinking on, you know, the blockchain realm, you know, like what's the cutting edge. And then, you know, like, Obviously, my, my guess is that the emerging technology thread, you know, remains tantalizingly out of reach while you're trying to also build like, oh, we got to get yeah. away from this legacy stuff. Absolutely. So how, how do you, um, how do you kind of like navigate that? Well, that, that is definitely something that is uh, an, a day-to-day challenge for us. Um, and I can even choose a very small example. Uh, so we still run our own data center. Uh, so we have an on-prem infrastructure. Uh, but there's been a, a burgeoning movement and a lot of expertise on, on my team um, and with myself of how to, to deploy things in the AWS environment. And we made containerization and um, containerized infrastructure kind of a first-class citizen in everything we were building. So even if we were working on virtual machines or EC2 instance, uh, we were going to make it so that we would be able to transition into a containerized infrastructure using Kubernetes um, with a very low, small amount of work. And so one of the um, one of the little uh, battles that we've been having to undertake is a battle between EKS and COPS. And this is one of those philosophical uh, belief systems that you have to make a decision about. Do you think Amazon is going to do right by the Kubernetes environment, or do you want to take your chance on the community-supported version of a, a Kubernetes deployment and maintenance infrastructure like COPS? Um, so that, that is one of those kind of back and forth that the, the best thing that we've done and the, the way that we've kind of tried to make decisions on this is to kind of have an airing of grievances, as the, so to speak, uh, in partnership with some of our, our groups on the enterprise IT side um, to say, Here, here's the two different types of things we're looking at. Um, can you be partners with us in, in trying to figure out what's going to be best for the organization? And for us, uh, once again, as, as a new development group within a larger company, there's been this... Um, this habit of making silos so that every team hires their own set of DevOps people. They hire their own set of engineers and they, they create their own solution instead of creating a, a broader solution for, for the, the company and then slowly customizing it as need be for different parts and different groups. And so we, we've, we've taken a different approach on that. And that's something that we kind of need to do with almost every technology or, or problem that we look at. Um, we're doing the same thing with the data streaming platform. We want to bring in Kafka uh, we're doing the same thing with our logging infrastructure. We brought in Elk. Uh, we've done the same thing with some of our routing uh, infrastructure. We were big users of uh, the Nginx for just very simple routing um, and logging uh, purposes. Um, and even all the way down to Mongo was something that didn't really exist uh, as a big thing within the organization. And I mean, that's that's going back pretty far, right? Mongo is not a cutting edge technology anymore, but a document store database um, is sort of a new thing to CWT as a company. So these are all like very small microcosms of technology that in almost every case, what we've tried to do is, is to, to air, air grievances, as it were, to, to let other parts of the organization take part in partners in trying to figure out what direction to go so that everyone has a broader sense of ownership as a result and they don't seem, think that we're being cavalier or renegade about the way that we're implementing technology. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I imagine it can be kind of organizationally terrifying for, you know, some of the legacy folks, you know, been in your position for 20, 30 years, you know, I'm a, I'm an Oracle DBA, you know, I I feel pretty good about this. Right. And, um, you know, now allow this open source business and and what's this and what's that, is it secure? What about the cloud? 
Oh, yeah. um, and, and you guys are probably sitting there going, oh, wow, you know, we had these conversations. You have to listen to this again. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but so. even on the security front, we, we, that's another one that um, we've kind of shifted our, our, you know, I hate to use the term, but shifted the paradigm a little bit. The security group used to be very much a um, send an email, fill out a very large form, um, try to get approval. Yeah. I mean, I, I see it laughing, but that, that really was what it was. Um, you know, the, the Nginx was the first thing that, that we brought in, and that was a very long 20-plus um, page document to describe, you know, what it is and whether you have to pay for it and all that fun sort of stuff. And now we have um, a, a security person uh, as part of our uh, stand-up sometimes, as part of our plannings, as part of our discussions about what technology we're doing. So the, the barriers uh, have really kind of reduced, and we've we've worked more on a one-to-one and as part of our ceremonies basis with a lot of other groups from enterprise IT, from security, from architecture, uh, from other groups um, to to try to make it so that the it's less formal in some ways. We've also formalized um, some of our 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 just differently. It's it's not a formal security architecture review process for us anymore. It's a let's involve them as early as we can in our planning so that they have knowledge of it and aren't surprised by anything we're doing. Yeah, that, that'd be an interesting thing to explore too. You know, your, let's say, you know, sort of a encapsulated, containerized, if you will, um, you know, tech startup inside this larger organization. But I'd be curious to know, you know, let's say there's, there's other sort of startups inside or outside of, you know, a big technology org. What have you and your crew learned from and adopted from the best practices that actually do come from a mature and maybe, you know, we use legacy maybe as a pejorative, but yeah, you know, there is a lot of institutional learning there on how you build massive important things that endure. What have you taken back that maybe was not part of the mindset in the, the fast moving startup kind of vibe? Yeah. You know, um, the, we also often think of enterprise IT or legacy as, um, sort of a, uh, a thing that you don't want to deal with, right? And, and it's something that I, I don't bear witness to often, but I bear witness to it enough. And that I, I see that that's the attitude that we sometimes, especially as like engineers have about, you know, someone telling us a way to do things. And a lot of times the, the best thing that we can do is have a sense of empathy about why it is that, that people are coming to us with that kind of disposition. Um, I, I have a, a, one of my now best uh, colleagues at, at the company so I joke with a lot because when I started off, he um, he didn't want me to use Nginx for a, a use case where it was kind of a thing that you just use uh, no matter what organization you're in. And his his solution was, you could use JBoss for this. So I, I kind of joke, like, do you have a JBoss tattoo? Are you being paid by, um, you know, the, the JBoss folks to say this kind of thing? And so I, I rib him a little bit about that. But um, the thing over time, I learned later that the reason he was so... Um, dead set on that was that was that was just what he knew that was the way that he always did things and I, I thought at first and I, I really read him very wrong and that I thought I was not going to get along with him at all but he's been one of our staunchest allies and greatest defenders and been really a, a partner in helping us to change the way that the, the organization operates so the, the big lesson that I've learned in this and the thing that I kind of stressed to, to my team is that we should never see enterprise IT or any other group as somebody as an enemy who is a, um, someone who's preventing us from doing things. If they're not working in the way that we need them to, we need to say that out loud. We need to justify and articulate why it is that what the way the process is working is holding us back from achieving the objectives of our product owners and the business and all that fun stuff. Um, so 
it, it's, it's about making a partnership to make things better for us and seeing that folks like enterprise IT, folks like a, a middleware and infrastructure teams need to be part of the solution, uh, that they can't be cut out entirely, even if, especially if you're in a place that is a medium-sized, large organization, and that you ignore them at your own peril, and eventually it will bite, bite you back. Uh, we have a lot of, um, we're still trying to figure this out. We're slowly muddling our way through it. But again, as a new uh, development team within a large organization, there's a lot of questions about support that we don't really have good answers for yet, right? We're a team of 14 people, and we're doing hundreds of thousands of transactions uh, per day. And if something goes wrong, you know, obviously, blah, 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 you don't want to wake up at 2 a.m. and answer the email or get on a call. So we still have to work with this enterprise group to say, how is our alert system working? Um, what is the first level of support? What is the second level? What is the third level? How do these things coalesce and come together? Um, and they need to be seen as, as partners, and, and we need to help them improve the way that that works, too, uh, because it's incumbent on us as people bringing in something new to help train and, and mentor and work in a, in, a, um, in a deliberative fashion with these groups and just not ignore them and their, their state of affairs. Um, so that, that's the big thing that we, I take back to the team. I think I've learned even more in this and that I shouldn't look at those groups and nobody on my team or, or small teams like mine within a big company should look at them as, as enemies or impediments, but just people that need to be influenced to, to think differently, I guess. Yeah, which is really the the lesson of, you know, like, hey, let's go all, you know, back to Scrum Master School mm -hmm. and, you know, servant leadership is baked into the framework. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there, there really is a mandate to serve the existing organization in the way that it that it grew up and not treat that as, you know, sort of a, a negative thing. Yeah, absolutely. It, it also makes me think I, I've had some other guests on particularly in sort of legacy, I'll say legacy or big enterprise fintech and banking and you know neat neat conversations about you know hey we're we're obsessed with devops the way that we think about it in the cloud now and we're obsessed with sort of DevSecOps. but you know over there in the corner in the knock are the guys and gals who have always been ops and yeah. and make stuff run and keep stuff running and um you know that, that a great deal of the organizational and technical infrastructure relies on just regular old ops and those yeah, are the guys yeah. you know, 20 years ago you know we were like well where are the sysadmins you know they're down in the basement in the dark somewhere um, but that stuff's still there you know it is yeah we and, have it we have a lot of that still yeah we have a we have just massive uh, infrastructure for that sort of thing but um it's it's one of those things that we we, we have a, a new fellow um that was brought in after one of our devops days who was a speaker um a guy named donnie burkholz who has a lot of experience um, with this kind of transformational, um, you know, mindset, uh, and he's on the enterprise IT side. And for even for him, uh, there's a huge effort underway uh, just to slowly change the direction of some of the bigger enterprise IT infrastructure matters. And it's not an overnight thing for us. Um, and we have to do that kind of thing. And me as a as consumer of those services, um, you know, I always need to bear in mind that. Um, you know, everyone's state of affairs and their experience is going to be different from mine. Um, and then if I do see an opportunity to say, you know, maybe if we automate these alerts or, or maybe if we, we funnel the, the message for this into something with a run book attached to it so that someone could troubleshoot it without our help, um, that we need to, to do our, our best to, to show them why it's better than their current system. And then uh, hopefully spread that around the other parts of the organization so that they do the same thing. We just can't ignore those, those you know, ops people. They have to be part of the, the overall the, this progression. Um, they really need to be. 
what have you seen change in the mindsets around, you know, it, yeah, we're talking about open source. We talked about the different uh, stack technologies. How about uh, down on the language front? You know, what, yeah. what's the difference between like, you know, the legacy language choices and uh, programming paradigms, you know, and even version control and the things of that nature that you see between the two approaches? We've been a little weird with our, our choice of like languages and SaaS and, and uh, you know, uh, past types of products. Um, and that's largely sometimes because of the, the um, difference between on our, on our finance side, whether they want to capitalize everything or, or operational expenditure type of thing, which is a, a, a level of budgetary detail that even though I, I understand the difference, I don't really care about it. I just want to get my work done kind of thing. Um, so I'll, I'll answer one part first and then the second part later, which the first part is in the language space. Um, I was fortunate enough uh, at my last job, which was a, a company within the advertising technology space, to work for a very engineering-driven organization that um, wanted to have a mindset of, we'll choose the right framework and the right language and the right solution for the task and try to leave it, um, leave everything in a place that it can be changed later so that you don't bake too much into it. You know, you break apart pieces as best you can where it makes sense and the, the smallest possible component, so on and so forth. I mean, the downside to that is that we ended up with uh, tons of different languages, uh, tons of different components. So there's there's always a balance to strike there. But I've really carried that that attitude forward into the new job, and I'm lucky to have brought in a lot of colleagues who have the same mindset that say, if it's a backend service that needs to have uh, high availability, it needs to, to have uh, true multi-threading, then we're going to use Java. If you really wanted to go crazy, maybe we'd write it in C++, but you know, no one's really going to want to do that too much. Um, if it's a front-end system, uh, we'll develop something with a Node.js backend. We'll do it with an Angular front-end. We'll try to keep Angular up-to-date so we don't have to go, you know, several major versions up updated. Um, if we're doing a data streaming application, we'll do something with Kafka because that's a first-class citizen in the data streaming world. Um, all of these things are, we take a case-by-case -case basis. And in some cases, we had a, a, a scenario where we wanted to use the um, Elastic back-end, the Lucene infrastructure to do some, some data querying types of things. One of the uh, guys on the team had some experience with a technology called Solar, which is based off the same Lucene uh, backends, but it was going to be kind of hard because the rest of the team didn't have experience with Solar, even though it's still based on Elastic or Lucene, I should be technical about it. Um, and it was going to be hard to push through another new component through our enterprise IT team uh, to say, please support yet another piece of infrastructure when the elastic backend was going to suffice just, just fine. So there's always a balance to be struck there in terms of what technology we use. I think I've talked with a lot of other companies that uh, sometimes say we're a completely Python shop. And I kind of scratch my head and think, okay, that's cool, but are you completely Python shop because that's the technology that solves your problem or you're completely Python shop because that's what you started out with and you never really had the, the capacity or the, the, the ability to change. And, and if it's the latter answer of that, like, it's a little bit distressing because um, as, a, as an engineer myself, I've become more and more kind of uh, open-minded about what technologies I think are right for every case. And I'm, I'm really glad that I'm in a place where we have that freedom and flexibility as engineers to, to make that decision. Not every place does. Um, you know, on the infrastructure side and the um, kind of platform, even on the code storage side, um, we, we, we finally started transitioning into using more uh, SaaS products for a lot of things we do from, APM, uh, we use New Relic from uh, or even our code storage, we use you know, the GitHub SaaS. 
Um, but even those have a little uh, quirks in them in terms of the way that they're built back and the way that we add users to them and the way that you account for different groups having different things. So depending on the organization, those are kind of case-by-case -case basis as to what, whether they make sense or not. Um, personally, the, the SaaS uh, solutions for a lot of these things make sense for us um, because it's just easier and we don't have a huge uh, people infrastructure to manage it and uh, a lot of people who don't aren't at the cutting edge of some of those SaaS products. Um, but it's, it's, it's something that it's every, every one of them has a little quirk that we need to look at and we're, we're getting better at understanding when it makes sense to go out and purchase a product versus when it makes more sense to try to build it or, or in-house it on-prem our own. Um, and there's no right answer for that. It's just every case is different. Yeah. You make, you make great points on the language selection front. Yeah. The, we have clients or, you know, people who, who talk about, well, I, I desperately need uh, to write this thing in node. And we all know that like Python is the best tool for that, you know, so you're going to rebuild, yeah. you're going to rebuild, you know, a hundred different packages that you could install now, you know, because node doesn't do that. Well, we have, you know, 30 node engineers already. And I, and I look at yeah, it, you yeah. know, that's a recipe for, you know, maybe in 15 years, you know, that's the, you know, forked non-upgradable, you know, yeah. sort of messy yeah. legacy architecture because you just don't know what's going to happen later. And, uh, you know, of course you do your best to advise on, you know, hey, maybe you should, you know, broaden your perspectives. And, you know, the reality is any of your engineers given two weeks could be up to speed on the proper methods to do this with, you know, a different language that's well suited for it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I mean, I know that one of the previous shows are talking about, you know, dealing with legacy code and legacy systems. And that's another thing that I hear a lot about. You know, we have this big, big old thing that was maybe written in a really old version of Java with um, struts or something. And how are we ever going to replace it? And you, you have to, in that case, have not only the engineering uh, resources available to start making those changes. Um, you also need to have a leadership uh, that's going to recognize that changes need to be made slowly and the right kind of mindset. Um, on the product and the business side to, to accept that things need, maybe need to slow down a little bit uh, in order to, to remove that legacy from the equation. Um, so it's, it's definitely a problem that we have. Uh, fortunately, my team's not responsible for maintaining legacy systems, which is a, a, something I, I'm thankful for every day. Um, but it is, it is one of those problems that takes like an art and a science and a lot of soft skills to, to be able to, to justify to other people why it is that things need to change uh, at the pace they, they need to. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think all of us are lining up to someday be the, uh, the enterprise engineer who has to deal with, you know, the legacy thing that we wrote, you know? So yeah, yeah unfortunately, <laughs> I know there are, there are legacy things that I've written in past jobs that I'm probably sure that some, I, I still go back and I go, I wonder if their payroll is still running on that bash script that <laughs> I wrote, you know, 25 years ago and God help them. Yeah. So how do you think about, um, how do you think about adding team members, you know, potentially from a, a service like us where you have long-term, um, yet temporary and, you know, I'll say outsourced or, you know, otherwise remote team members who need to work on something important. You know, how do you think about adding those resources, managing them, selecting them, you know, and, and making them relevant, you know, in the, the full-time context? Absolutely. And that, that is something that we need to consider uh, quite often um, in the way that we've kind of come to, to grips with that is to try to make those outsourced resources, uh, patterns and um, work habits match our own. 
So down to the way that we do pull requests, the way that we, we expect the code to be written, um, the kinds of unit tests that we expect to be written. Um, we we want to have a, a well-documented, understandable, um, repeatable process about the way that we uh, we'd write code, even down to the way that um, we, we spec stories and, and, and point and score them and all that fun sort of thing, and place an expectation on any of the partners that we do work with um, in an outsourcing context that says, in order for, for you to be part of this uh, organization, uh, we're going to treat you as first-class citizens, as, as if you were an employee. Your process will be no different than any engineer on our team. And I think that that's worked out really well for us so far, uh, and it makes sense if, if you have a place that's not um, that that has a, a, a well thought out process, even if it you know you, you don't completely agree with their <laughs> Git branching strategy, um, as long as the the process is transparent, well documented, and easily followable by by people, no matter if they're full time or not, uh, then that's something that's easily reproducible uh, and can be we can bring in new people at any point in time and, and just get on with it. Well, Alex, thank you for the thoughts. My pleasure. It's been very instructive. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.